Welcome everybody to the business podcast where we pour out weekly business lessons from entrepreneurs and business owners from around the world. I'm your host, Super Joe Pardo, and my guest today is making his dreams come true by helping the world uh, by making their ideas into apps. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are right now, I need you to give a big, warm welcome to the guest that's sitting right across from me. So uh, we talk to people from all around the world. This guest just happens to be sitting right across from me in my office. Super Joshua Davidson. Josh, how are we doing today? I hear everyone's applause from around the world. Woo! I hear it. You know, it's actually, it's funny you bring this up. I was thinking on the way here, this might be my first real-time podcast. I've done radio shows and, like, TV stuff. Okay. I've never actually recorded a podcast, not, like, at my desk, no matter who it is. So this is my first in-person podcast well, right now. welcome to the studio. Yeah, I feel, like, two, I feel like I'm on studio. Sports Talk Radio, honestly. That's what it feels like right now. <laughs> well, I will do my best. I listen to it a lot throughout the week uh, to, to, to do that. <laughs> and before we get into talking about your background as we normally would, I just real quick want to plug the fact that I have a brand new book out. If you haven't heard, it's called Sales Won't Save Your Business. You can get it at saleswont.com. It's not just for business owners, but it's for entrepreneurs, managers, salespeople, and aspiring leaders. Josh. The Eagles are Super Bowl champions. They are. There's, uh, I was just telling you before we start recording. There's no such thing as a bad day. It's, I, it, it, it has I could get, lifted. I, I could get a bad EU. I'm like, eh, don't care. Super Bowls are world champs. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you say Super Bowls are world champs. Super Bowl Eagles are world champs. Yeah, that's my brain. Can't, my brain actually can't process the fact the Eagles are world champs. So, like, think about this. I grew up my entire life feeling like we were the team destined to. I don't know. Like, I grew up in the McNabb era. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Buddy no, Ryan era. I got into football was, was in, like, 99. So my, my brain's always been programmed, like, what will what could go wrong? What will, will go, go wrong? wrong? Yeah. Like, always. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I just assumed we would always make it to the championship game and blow it, right? Like, I went to the last game ever at the vet, the Tampa Bay game. Oh. And, um, actually, fun story, and we, we could really dive in here, is where um, my dad took me to that championship game. An entire two weeks was hyping it up. Or an entire week, excuse me, was hyping it up, like, because at the time, remember everyone thought it was going to be unstoppable. Like, Tampa Bay can't uh, win. I remember in the, them getting on the cold. plane. Yeah, can't win in the, in cold. the cold. This is it. The last year to vet. You're, it's guaranteed. And um, I was actually crying at the game. I had to be. I was young. And my dad turns to me, puts his arm around me. He's like, he's like, welcome to the club. As they're like, you know, welcome to the fraternity being a Philadelphia sports fan. But I took my dad this year to the championship game. So I actually took him. Um, and we sat in section 122 right in front of where the Fox did their broadcasts for the game and I put my arm around I'm like welcome to the club as we're you know it's like watching Minnesota fans actually cry and it felt great on the opposite side um <laughs> and one more note is we had two Minnesota fans right next to us and entire start of the game talking smack like before leading up to it like it, it was as obnoxious as I've ever seen an opposing fan base I'm, I'm sure it's not representing of all Minnesota fans but you know these two probably drop like a couple g's to sit next to here and they're literally from Minnesota so right before the game, I said, you know, I'm going to knock them down a peg. So I, I, I play like, excuse me, I have, a, I, have a, I have a question for you. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, when we went tonight, can you let me know the best hotel room or the best hotel to stay at in Minnesota? I'd appreciate it. <laughs> and um, about started the second quarter during the flea flicker, if you remember. Yeah. Or yeah, excuse yeah. me, the second half. Um, they left. And I remember as they left, I'm like, I never got that hotel recommendation. So it felt like poetic karma. They, le- they, they left. They left. They left at maybe Six minutes left in the third quarter after the flea flicker. Like, and uh, it was like. Well, it, then it, at the point, the score was so out of control. No, at that point, like, I mean, that was the least stressful Eagles game I've ever been to in my entire life. And I went one other game this year. It was the Denver game where we also blew out Denver. So I actually, the two games I went to the link this year, I never once had anxiety 
Like, it's, it's the craziest feeling in the world. It was just a party atmosphere both times. So, yeah, no such thing as a bad day. Everything's great. Well, you know, and I talked about this on a podcast, uh, uh, to, uh, the Solopreneur Hour, just last week, because the guy who he's he lives in L.A., but he's from Philly. Yeah. And and I'm like, you know, it's a different it's just a different feeling now. Um, think about anything's this. possible, right? My son will never live in a world where the Eagles didn't win a Super Bowl. He was born the day. after. Yeah. And I, I waited 26 years of my life and my dad waited. 58 years of his life. I, I guess he saw – I mean, how long ago was the world championship? Was it? Uh, it was 1960, so, so I believe. Been, so, so 40 so he plus – Yeah, so he would, he would have saw that, but he would have been an yeah. infant. But that's not Super Bowl champs, right? Like, we're Super Bowl freaking champions. There's a difference here. We're the, we're the champions of commercials. That's yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what it is. And the best part and – I, and I really do mean this to everyone listening to podcasts – is the fact that, you know, New England crushed my dreams when I was a kid. You know, the McNabb puking era, Terrell Owens playing on a broken leg, no Chad Lewis. Like, you know, that was one of my first memories. That and um, right before that, Allen Iverson, you know, the the blown NBA finals where we, we got game one and then we just pretty much got reverse swept after that point. So, I, and, you know, I grew up my entire life. Like, I was alive for 93 Phillies, right? Mm, I, I witnessed yeah. that defeat. The 98 or 99 Flyers where we got swept by the Red Wings when we were the hardcore favorites of the Legion of Doom. Remember them? Mm-hmm. Um, the 2001 Sixers. Um, the 2004 Eagles. Um, thank God for the Phillies. Like, yeah. in 2008, even then. I went I'm, to a lot of games that year. Yeah, and I'm still disappointed with that era because I feel like 2009, we we definitely lost to the better team. But we were the best team in baseball, 2010 and 2011. And the fact that we lost against basically the Island and Misfit Toys, that was the Giants that year, and then the Cardinals in Game 5 of Roy freaking Holiday giving up one run in Game 5, that's – you know I, know, I feel like as a Philadelphia sports fan, up to this point, you're just you're let down by like ghosts, like the 2009 Flyers, right, or 2010 Flyers, where we came back three games down against Boston, and you still lose. We the watched Stanley a Cup. lot of those games in my backyard. Yeah, on so the projector. so um, uh, um, uh, so the the beat not only that they beat their ghosts against. Let's be real, the goats, right? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are going to have the greatest head coach of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time, and it's not like they played a bad game. Tom Brady had statistically the best quarterback performance in the Super Bowl history. And we freaking beat him. We freaking with a backup QB. Yeah. Nick freaking fools. So that's uh, I, like I said, no such thing as a bad day. All my ghosts are gone. There's I mean, no demons. The sad day was when when Wentz went down. Right? That was like they're celebrating. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't speak. My girlfriend can attest to this because you know the only time I don't work is during Eagles game days or playoffs. Like that's it. Or like or it's, and I'm serious. Like I, that's like you know Eagles football to me is like religion, right? Um, and when he got hurt. I remember I just sat on the couch staring at the screen for like four hours, like a TV. And um, Tammy was like asking me something. I didn't, I didn't hear anything. I'm just, I was like, this is this is exactly what's supposed to happen, right? Like being a Philadelphia sports fan freaking sucks. Like in the back of your head, like how does this of course happens? So yeah, <laughs> it, it's great. It's um, life's great. Everything's great. I'm in a great mood all the time. There's, yeah, it, it, I'm, it doesn't matter what happens anymore. Eagles are always going to be known as the world champs for Super Bowl 52 and. You know, I'm literally how I don't think I've not worn Eagle swag every a day since the Super Bowl at this I, point. He's wearing a hat right now. Yeah, I can yeah, attest yeah. to. Um, I, you know, I, 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 here's the thing for me. My fandom doesn't come at – doesn't – like a ring didn't mean I was going to be a bigger fan or not, right? Like, yeah. like there's all – like the Cowboys fans and all – oh, well, how many rings you got? And you know what I always point out to them? And maybe maybe you'll, find, you'll probably find this funny. It's like, hey – 
Since 96, the Cowboys have won three playoff games. Where's your relevancy? We have more Super Bowl wins with, uh, I mean, more Super Bowl wins. More, yeah. Well, since since the VHS was obsolete, we have more Super Bowl wins. Uh, <laughs> we, we have more playoff wins with a backup QB than they've had with a starter QB since 96, right? Because they have, it's, yeah. or maybe two, like, they had, what, two playoff wins with Romo. One I, was I against us, was, unfortunately. I think it was, uh, yeah. And the... did it, they didn't have any with Dak because Dak got out, and that, that's it. Nope. We we just won three games with Nick freaking Foles, our yeah. backup QB. Well, AJ Feely. But you know, uh, if, if they had Sean one. Lee, it could be a different story. As they, as the, as every Cowboy fan tried to explain to me, why wow, we have a nice shiny ring in return. So uh, I, I know, wait, even though we didn't lose, is yeah, with, with, like, but where's Zeke? Oh, but, but, he can't but, but, be good. Let's but let's go there. through like, who who did oh, we lose on. this year? Outside Carson Wentz, who would have been the MVP? Uh, Sproles, Sproles, uh, Peters. Uh, what's the linebacker's name? Um, not Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks. We lost Jordan Hicks. Yeah, Jordan. Yeah, Jordan Hicks. Hicks was out for the year. Uh, who's the uh, Chris Maragos? Lost Maragos. Uh, he was just special teams though, right? Yeah, but he was freaking good at special teams. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, there's probably one or two other people. We even won a game this year without a kicker. Oh, we lost uh, uh Ronald Darby. Yeah, uh, we actually. Who was know. our kicker to start the season? Sturgis, right? Yeah, he got hurt yeah, before but... the season even started. <laughs> we had no Sidney Jones. He only played his final game of the year when he found was healthy. A rookie. Yeah. That was going to be a steal in the draft. That reminds me of last year when, when everybody got hurt. The the long snap, uh, John Dornboss got hurt, and then <laughs> yeah. like the other guy that replaced you know, him got hurt. That's the only thing that <laughs> I'll never trade not having a ring for anything, right? Like having a ring for anything. But I feel for basically uh, John and Connor Barwin because I feel like they're – they were like two lifelong eagles. It feels like in my head to not get a ring, but I'm well, so happy. Well, like John Brent... Dornboss is getting a ring. Well, he is going to get it, but like him not actually being on being the team. There, but yeah. it did save his life. Literally, that trade saved his life because that's when he got the physical to find out yeah. he had a heart defect. If you take one more hit, you could be dead. Yeah. So, so it actually worked out. Good. I mean, yeah, and good on them for getting him a ring. Uh, I mean, because he. You know, and I'm he, happy he, that Selleck got a ring. Oh man. God! Yeah. Think about it. He was around during uh, Andy Reid that championship game against Arizona. I mean. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. He he has been here a long, long time. All of his career, and uh, hopefully for the rest of his career. He owns a restaurant in Philly, too. The, he, he oh, owns, yeah, I heard about that. He owns that. a burger joint in Old City. Okay. I can't think of the name, but I know it's a burger Have you been joint. there? No, I, actually, I went there I went there once with um, Tammy, who's my girlfriend, like when we started dating three years ago in like the summer, and um, they had no AC on, so we just we couldn't. It was, you know, for those that aren't from the East Coast and like Philly area, summers are brutal. Like humidity makes it's not like oh, yeah. it's ninety degrees of humidity. It feels like one hundred and twenty outside. It's fine. We go to the shore to get to cool. Down. It's true. We go towards the water. Yeah, to cool it's down. true. It's um, <laughs> and it's and I love the heat. I if there's no humidity, nineties is no big deal, right? Yep. It's if you say humidity, like I am staying indoors, isolated from the world. That's how it works here in the East Coast. <laughs> and it's not just because we're nerds. <laughs> no, it's 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 actually because you want to. <laughs> So, all right, Josh, let's let's get down to business as far as your, your back, because you've already been doing 11 minutes of sports talk. Which, That's, I is mean, it sports radio with, can... uh, <laughs> with Joe? I'm going to have to put a warning in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> let's get started about uh, your ba- with your background in, in business, in your, with your business. Yeah, um, so I'm actually from New Jersey originally, so I live what, in Philadelphia what? now. Yeah, so I grew up literally in the Jersey Shore, um, in Egg Harbor, if for those familiar. It's right outside Atlantic City. Which coincidentally, I was at yesterday speaking at an event. Stayed overnight. It was interesting being back in like my hometown area. Um, but nonetheless, I digress there. Um, so 
I grew up in Jersey Shore area, and um, during in high school, I only had one real job, which was I was a busboy at Red Robin. Um, which hopefully one day we like a trivia question. Well, was Joshua Davison's one real job? So yeah, I was a busboy at a Red Robin. I held doors for people, cleaned tables, and every now and then I would take an order if someone was busy. And I was like 14 when I got the job. So now, like I, I think it might be federal. You can't work until you're 16 or certain restrictions, or maybe it's New Jersey. But I know I got grandfathered at one point. So yeah, I started working at 14 young because I wanted a couple dollars. And um, like most six, uh, like 14, 15, 16 years old, I hated it. I was like, you know, there's a reason why there's so much turnover. Your attention spans, none. The only reason you want money is to go and take a girl out on a date or go buy, like, an Xbox 360 at the time or, like, an Xbox One or, you know, it's, it's like, $10 at that point. You're like, this is the most amount of money ever. I can do so much stuff. I can go to the mall, right? Like, so, but, you know, I, I, I was really bored. And growing up, I loved tech, I, especially building websites and, um, quote, unquote, I'm using quotations, web apps, because it really wasn't web apps. But back then, web apps could be classified as like message boards, forms, basic functionality. Um, and I, I learned how to program actually by myself um, using, kid you not, AltaVista and Macromedia Fireworks are designing back in like 98, 99. Fireworks. Yeah, it's, um, Macrome- it was Macromedia Fireworks MX, I think it was the version. Mm. Um, and I, I was obsessed with it. I the, When I was young and making a the computer do what I wanted. It was just the greatest thing in the entire world. And um, I, I was very fortunate just being young, recognizing this, this is I, – I already know what I love to do in life. Um, and at the time when I was really young, we used to go to Six Flags Great Adventure here in New Jersey mm-hmm. every weekend. Like that was our family thing. I think it was a cheap way for my family to just get us distracted so they didn't have to pay a lot of money. Like, all right, go run off. You and your friends go whatever. Um, and at the time, me discovering the World Wide Web at the time, and, you know, this is like the era, dot-com era, message boards. It was, like, really not social network era yet. Like, message boards were social networks before social networks, as you recall. And um, It was BBS before that. Yeah, it was, well, and, there's PHP, and... BB. Um, there's those old, really terrible live chat systems. Do you remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Uh, the there, there's, like, this like... live chat system. It's not AOL chats. It's like a, it was, like, a, like, live server-type chat. Was it? POS like, like MIRC or yeah it had to be like, something like that it was okay and you know and in essence I discovered through like Yahoo GeoCity stuff like that like there's communities and even communities like my local Six Flags so what I did is I said okay I'm gonna build my own so I actually built a fan site at the time um, and I got a four letter domain name yeah so which is legendary right yeah. <laughs> so I bought gadv.com short for great adventure.com and um, at 13 years old I had I think we had about 8,000 active daily users participating on message boards and forums. And we were actually number one on Google search results So you looked at the theme park, not Six Flags, like early on Google, to the point where I actually developed relationships at an early age with Six Flags. Like the present time was Mark Kane. I actually became friendly with the guy. Angel Ariston was the head of public relations, and they would invite me out to big press release, stuff like that. I'm like 13 years old, going to press events of like, you know, Press Atlantic City, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Asbury Park Press, the New York Times, you know, getting invited to like behind the scenes of construction, what's going on, and thousands of people, volunteers running it. And the best part is I was making real money using ad dollars. It's so like businesses in Freehold, New Jersey, Jackson, New Jersey, Asbury Park, New Jersey, Six Flags were paying for advertisements. And at 14 years old, and it's kind of crazy to think about now, I was probably making like five, $6,000 a month in digital ads, <laughs> which is just for inflation today is probably like, what, closer to like nine, $10,000 a month, right? And um, it was, what the hell was I doing? I had no idea. It was, it was just, to me, it was fun as hell. I, you know, and um, it was kind of my precursor to running my first business. And um, eventually I actually sold that. So it was when I was really young and 
kid you not, I couldn't sign my own contract to sell at the time because I was under 18. So my parents had to sign a contract for me to sell it. So, <laughs> um, but anyways, at 16 years old, um, you know, I was just doing it to get side money. I was actually really good at saving money. And I don't know how that got instilled in me, but I always wanted to spend money. So to me, that was like saving money at Red Robin for like spending money. And I was bored and I said, I wanted to do something myself. I'm like, I can make websites for small businesses and things like that. And um, this now the paint the picture. This is 2009, on the dot, like summer 2009. It's literally the height of recession. Look at the Dow. This is like the worst of the worst, peak uh, um, housing crisis, right? Yep. Where everyone's foreclosing, short selling, they're they're losing jobs. And for those that don't know our area, you probably get this because Lake City. It's based on the entertainment industry. And what's the first thing to go when a recession hits? Entertainment. Yeah, because it's, it's not a necessity. So you remember at the time, it was the Sands Casino closed, casino layoffs left and right. And I, and I remember being in high school where one day my friend Billy Bob Joe will be here. And the next day he's moved because his family can't afford to live here anymore. And they're gone. There's no jobs, no prospects. And like I, I went from like one year, I think like 2007, having a class like 35, 40 kids, like 20 the following year. Um even even my dad got laid off at one point, like during this, and my dad had the same job for thirty something years. Wow! Like so, it was a crazy time period, and my brain's not processing economics and economy at this point because you know, sixteen. What the hell's the economy, right? What do you mean there's upturns and downturn cycles and dot com booms? Like I have no idea what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm gonna offer small business website design. Um, very naive of me for two reasons at this time because it's 2009. One, websites weren't treated as necessities back then. Hard to believe. Like today, if you start a business, what's the first thing you do? You grab a .com name. Back then, if you didn't already, you're like, why the hell would I need a .com name? And then the second thing is I was in an area especially getting hit hard. Like it still hasn't recovered their housing prices from the recession because the job economy still has been complete horse since then. Um, and yeah. small businesses are like, we have no money. Half of them already went out of business. The other half that are there, like we're trying to – We've been around for this long. We are trying to make ends meet. And um, I went door to door from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. My entire summer vacation between sophomore and junior year of high school. And the very last day, it was kind of poetic. And I walked door to door. I didn't have a license or anything yet. And, you know, again, Jersey summers, Philly summers, freaking brutal. So I'm covered in sweat. It's like peak, like, punk rock emo era. So my hair is probably super long and acne and my voice break. I'm going door to door, dressed in, like, jeans and a hoodie, kind of like what I dress today. So my fashion hasn't changed much. And um, <laughs> actually I had this business to end called It's a Doggy Dog World um, in the English Creek Shopping Center in A. Carver Township, New Jersey, right off the Black Horse Pike. So, yeah, we'll do the website. And that kind of started everything. And it turned into this kind of this motion, and I call it the snowball effect, where I kicked on it and loved it. And we actually made them a 25% increase in profit and revenue off of the website we built. And then because of that, they would tell two people, they would tell two people, they would tell two people. And by the time that, like, late fall, I probably had 20, 30, or 40 active website clients, all just by myself. I had no one. And um, that's kind of the origins of starting my company, but we don't do website design today. So today we build apps and software for companies around the globe. And that was born because of the fact that we had a client that said, hey, you guys do this. Can you build us a social network app? And we are naive enough and optimistic enough. Like, yeah, I think we can do that. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. And um, I think we charged them like $5,000 or something that probably should have cost them like 50000 right? Because we were just going to say, okay, let's do it. And um, we somehow did. You know, probably was months behind schedule. I probably spent thousands of my own money out of pocket and labor. Um, but that was when it kind of clicked on me, knowing, you know, the app store is relatively new, that we could do this, that 
at the time, there was really no competition. Like, really, the only people were in San Francisco or New York. Hey, you know, this is what really is fun, fulfilling, and we build something that people use. It goes back to my days of Six Flags, the fan site. I'm like, we can help people with much better ideas than I'll ever have, bring them to life, and help them with it. And holy crap, we can help them make real money, and there's real money to be made in this. And that's actually the origins of how, like, the actual real Chopped Dog became what it is today. And, um, yeah, today we build mobile apps, software for brand-new startups. So anyone listening to this is, like, trying to build a brand-new company and needs a technical team, but they don't want to hire an in-house team. Or companies like Hilton's hired us before. Six Flags has hired us before. Siemens has hired us before. If you like Wawa, Wawa's hired us. Um, Experian Healthcare has hired us. So, And we work from both brand-new startups, existing companies, with everything when it comes to their technology needs. And kind of our – and this is where I sound sales pitchy, but it's just the truth of why we do it. You know, think about this. You wanted to start a brand new company, and it's a digital company, an app, and you're not technical. You're going to need a minimum of, say, you want to go on iPhone and Android, okay? Well, at least a developer for each platform, iOS and Android. So that's two. And usually they're not good at APIs and logic, things like that. That's usually another role. So he or she's going to be needed to be involved. So that's three developers. Then you're also going to need a designer, at least one, because most developers are terrible designers and don't think twice about it. Um, there's a team of four people there. And then usually you need project management, right? Because of the fact that everyone working differently is going to be a recipe for disaster. And if you're not technical, you have no idea what the hell you're going to be saying or doing or asking. There's a roster of five people right there for something very innocent. Now, let's assume you paid them a year's salary. And let's assume, you know, depends where you live. Like a salary in the West Coast might be $150,000 a year, $120,000 a year. New York, $100,000 a year. Philly, $80,000 a year. Let's just say one hundred for the purpose of easy math. That's half a million dollars a year plus taxes. So that's probably another fifty thousand. So that you're now half a million, five hundred fifty thousand plus servers, infrastructure, everything you need. That's at six hundred thousand bucks. Most companies don't have six hundred grand to start, and we created a business model where you can do that for like one tenth the price, one fifth the price. Where all of a sudden you get the same team, but now you get the experience and the roster and the chemistry and success. And we are the ones with the liability because we don't perform. You're suing us, right? <laughs> uh, it's just the truth. And you're only paying 60000 50000 70000 80000 for that same. And we're pay as you go. So once we're done, you're not on the hook for recurring revenue costs or recurring expense costs. So you don't need us for six months. You don't pay for us for six months. Um, so yeah, very long-winded, but you know, I'm a good storyteller, at least I think. <laughs> no, I, I would agree. Uh, so I, so okay, so so you build apps. Uh, so are you still going to those places like just like your emo uh, self? No, not emo. <laughs> there's like, no, there's no My Chemical Romance shirts on anymore. Um, well, you're I, I, the Wawa actually, or... <laughs> so fun story. Yesterday I spoke at a conference, and it was a business professional conference. Everyone okay. was in suits and dresses and dress fancy. I wore. A dress shirt with a tie and dark jeans and dress shoes. So I was like the most dressed out of everyone. I, I actually right now don't actually own a full suit. I'm not kidding. Like if there's ever an uh, emergency, like someone there's a funeral that gets popped on my lap or a wedding, I am screwed right now. I actually don't own a full piece. It's like I'll have to like wear like dark khakis or something. Um, so I, I've always never really liked dressing up. I know it's just weird. It's not like I don't dress poorly. It's just I never like the dressing up. I like that um, casual – Trendy casual, as I like to call Tr- it. Trendy casual. That sounds like a great way to get out of <laughs> out of having to get a suit. <laughs> I mean, as you can tell, like I don't dress up either. But um, 
So, 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 okay. So you already covered, uh, what were some of the first steps that you, you took when you got started doing, doing, uh, your business, which was awesome. But I, I'm, I want to go a little bit deeper in that as far as like, so at the time in which you got your first, uh, app to go build, Mm -hmm. did you already have like a team of people? Was it like your high school buddies or like, so we did. So, people. so what happened when I was doing websites at the time? Um, probably when I was 17, so it's about a year in, cause I started when I was 16, um, a media bliss happened. I, this is around the time where Facebook's becoming big. So I feel the media is trying to find that next Mark Zuckerberg, every local market, find our own local one. And, um, at the time, do you get the current here? Is that like a newspaper called like your local town current or anything like that? We do get a town um, paper, but it's called, it's not called the current. It's like, I don't know. It's, it, I'm not sure what the so name there's is. Like, there was like, a town- I can see it in my face, yeah. in my head. So in, in our area, there's like the current Angle Township, Maze Landing, mm-hmm. um, Ventnor, Atlantic City, all that. It's like the super small paper only for that town. Yep. They ran a story on me. And like 17-year-old web designer is killing it was the name of the article or something like that. <laughs> Um, but then the press of Atlantic City picked it up the article and like, we want to run with this and they interviewed me. And then the Philadelphia Inquirer wanted to pick up that story and they ran with it. Then remember NBC South Jersey actually existed before they folded in like 2009, 2010, 2011. So look it up. It was real. We had an NBC, NBC in South, South Jersey. Jersey. Look it up. It, it was a terrible production quality show, but we did NBC South Jersey existed once upon a time. You see it? Uh, it takes me to Philadelphia. Uh, Save you put on Google. There might there has to be like a Wikipedia or something. I'm about to pull it up on my phone now because I I, I, I snjtoday.com. No, well, it doesn't exist anymore. So NBC South Jersey. So here you go. It actually comes up on. I'm looking it up. Looking I'm, it I mean, up. I'm on Google. Um, I know it existed once upon a time here. I'm not making so this up. It was up. a whole station? It was a whole station dedicated for South Jersey. Interesting. WMGM? Looking, looking, looking. Justice Network station licensed to. Wildwood. It definitely existed. I, 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 I'm trying to find. Here you go. W, all right, there you go. WMGM TV, TV was previously an affiliate of NBC. And was the only major network affiliate located within New Jersey. As such, the station's coverage area overlapped with the network's owned and operated station, Philadelphia. Yep. And so NBC South Jersey picked it up after I did the Philadelphia Inquirer. And then NBC Philadelphia picked it up. And it was a Flory Wilson at the time picked it up from Philadelphia. And then AOL and Inc. Magazine picked it up. So within like a six-month radius, it like turned into like this media blitz. Like this, again, the snowball effect. I just want to look uh, – because NBC South Jersey, once upon a time, did exist. And um, I like I said, it's ingrained in my head. Because I remember they brought in this ginormous camera in my childhood bedroom because that's where I coded. And it had terrible, like, air filtration. like filtration. So it heated up like a giant sauna in there. So every single person involved, the anchor, me, the cameraman, were just sweating like crazy. It was literally a sauna. I hope uh, you're not sweating in here in my, in my office. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very comfortable right now. <laughs> It's um as a lookout in the snow and still March. I, yeah, it might snow. It might snow again tomorrow. I don't want to hear that. Or, I, I'm or ready. Or Too much for now. It's eighty. Too much for now. It's eighty degrees. Keep yeah, that in mind. Yeah. Baseball yeah. starts in a month. I I but, am looking forward to it. I hope yeah, that the Phillies can home uh, openers do something. April fourth. Uh, anyways, um, so where was I in the story? Um, anyways, the, so media, the media, blitz. yeah, the media blitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then with the media blitz, what happened is um. That forced me one or two things. Either I'll charge as much money as possible and handle the 
all the influx of work coming in to those who can afford it or try to help everyone. And I wasn't thinking anything. I'm just going to help as much people as possible. It's a very big decision you think about. It was like probably the most critical business I've ever made, but it forced me to hire. And um, somehow it worked out, even though I have no hiring experience, not knowing what to say. I actually used this, uh, Richard Stockton. It was a college at the Times alumni network. You know, I wasn't even a student. I, I was in <laughs> high school. They get people to apply for my position. And um, that was the original team roster that stuck around. That would end up becoming really the real chop dog that it is today. Um, and those are the people where I remember when we took on Party Hop as the name of the first app. We're like, does anyone know what to do here? Like, you're saying, I have an idea. Okay, you're good. Can anyone do a logo? <laughs> oh, I've done graphics. It's like, okay, you're good. You're the logo. It's like, you piecemeal this together based, based off a hunch. And um, it could have been very disastrous, but it was like this. I, it's a kind of that quote I love, naive optimism. I think all of us are naive enough to think we could do it and optimistic enough we think we could, which allowed us to do it. Um, so not usually the way most business stories and business books would tell you, hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. But it was I, – I do. I have this hypothesis everything always happens for a reason, and it took us to where we are today. You know, I, I one thing I wanted uh, to bring up was uh, because when I got to meet you, uh, thanks to our, our mutual friend Brad Aronson, um, who great I guy, hope, who I yeah he is. He's I hope to get him guy. on the show at some point here. He's supposed to be having a book. Tell, tell out. Him, no, tell him he was on my podcast, and now you have to be like, you, you already were on Josh's podcast, so you. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. I, yeah, yeah, he definitely. He wasn't in person though. It was it was digital. There was a, yeah. Well, I don't do every interview <laughs> over in, in person. You should though. This is much more fun. It, it, it is. It is. But again, I do interview people like all around the world so it would uh, you fly know, them in to, come on bring them into jersey you take them is, to wawa that is like one of those stretch they call them stretch goals <laughs> take them to wawa get them a hoagie yeah teach them yeah. what pork roll is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cream chip beef and there you go um so so i wanted you to talk a little bit about the the dynamic the team dynamic that you have now because yeah when I, when I heard your story originally you you went pretty deep into that and i think that's a really important yeah thing to touch on for for the uh, listeners here yeah so as of today's date we are 28 people so we've actually Ooh. grown a little bit since um you and i first met at HopeWorks in camden yeah, yeah um so at the time i think we were at 22 so, so i think it was like yeah it was like yeah it was 24, 24. or something like that yeah. um so we've hired a few more designers developers so the big thing off the bat is we're completely remote base so all my team members are literally located throughout the united states um, we don't have a physical office, and it was born by necessity because, again, I started in South Jersey, and if you told me in 2009 to find great developers and designers in South Jersey, I probably would have laughed at you. Like, that just wasn't a thing. And I also had no money to open up an actual location, so that wasn't a thing either. So it was born remote by necessity, and at the time it sucked. You used, like, Skype, and hopefully everyone would answer at once, or else you had to start a whole call over, TeamSpeak, which is, like, used for gaming, and there's no Slack or anything like that. So we actually had to build our own tools and use email and phone call. Made it through today is great. You have Slack, Google Hangouts, Google Meet, G Suite, Google Drive. Now the, the game's completely changed. Um, but yes, it's today um, we're completely remote based. I actually have a, several team members that are on a program called Remote Year. So every month they travel to a different country while working for us full time. They're literally in Lisbon, Portugal, as I speak, and they will be in two weeks in Cape Town, Africa. South Africa, to be precise. Um, and at, at one of them actually just came to Philly for a two-week stay at my place. Um, he's my vice president, Eddie. And it was his first time experiencing winter in two years because wow. he's been traveling in the wintertime and summer like conditions like in places like Australia and 
Thailand and Bali and like you know he has an experience cold and it's hilarious. He doesn't even he didn't even own a winter jacket. So um, <laughs> so yeah, um, you know. So, so I just go get him a hoodie. That's all he really needs. So the way we work is it's twofold. One, we don't have nine to five hours. Um, one of the reasons why is because I only had one real job, so it was never ingrained in my head why that needs to be a thing. But here's here's the honest truth. Um, do you have you coded design before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you understand like. When you're on, you're on, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can probably, when you're on, get ten hours of work done in an hour. If you're not on, you can stare at a screen all day, wishing you were doing anything else but it. And that's it's a re- it's because it's an art form. Like I, people don't really look at code like art, but to me, it is art. It's a it's a, it's a part science, part math, part creativeness, and just like with art, sometimes you're on, sometimes you're off. So I have this belief where everyone needs a work life balance. Um, Personally, my entire life I came out of business, but it's my purpose. I freaking love it. But I, I, I also have enough understanding that it's not everyone's going to be programmed that way. So if and I, if you want to attract the best talent, if you can say, listen, if I'll put you on this job. You're going to get paid this much, but you can get it done in a fraction of hours. Go do it. If anything, your time's worth more money now because you did it that way. So all we have as a company, we do have deadlines. So we're not like anarchy, hoping you know our clients hate us type thing. And we do have scheduled meetings. So we'll meet for clients every week. We'll talk remotely. Um, we have a Slack channel to communicate, Google Drive. But the idea is we're not structured. You have to be online from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's – listen, if you – Rich Caputo on my team just had a kid. He, he will spend his entire day with the kid, right? Um, and then in the evening when his kid and his wife go to bed, we'll program. Mm. Work perfectly. It worked, worked, that worked for him? It worked for me. For that would – I'd be tired at that point and, <laughs> and, and not be able to think straight. It's not a perfect fit, I not guess, for everyone. For personal experience or anything. I just... uh, <laughs> so, but that's that's what he did, right? We have that situation. Several of my team members get to travel the world, but they still have a real job to do while they're traveling the world. People like me, where I'm very, I know I'm a creature habit. I like my routine I have, and my commute is walking down a couple flights of stairs to my basement. Right, where my home office is. And our clients are remote. I mean, that's another thing that makes a lot of sense here is the fact that our clients are not just based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. They're not just located in New Jersey. Um, we have clients in Bangkok, Thailand, New York City, San Francisco, Miami, L.A., Hagerstown, Maryland, Tampa yeah. Bay, Florida, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, Kansas City. You know, it's um, they're all over. Um, London, Paris, Dublin. Um, and it, being a remote operation because I feel a few competitive advantages. One is that when you're remote based, you work with remote based clients. It's more fluid because it's more natural. It's not you don't have it's built in your DNA. Number one, two, I'm not limited by location for hiring. I can hire the best of the best no matter where they're at. And for example, let's say we're offering an eighty thousand dollar a year salary for a position. Well, that might not be a lot of money in a market like San Francisco, but if you live in the middle of Alabama and you're freaking good, that's probably like the equivalent of being like a millionaire, right? Like that's just the honest truth. And that's you can get some of the best and the best in the place they're most comfortable. Three, when people work their own hours and work in whatever situation is ideal for them, whether that's their home, they get a co-working desk, travel the globe, work at Starbucks, they're going to do their best work because they're putting themselves in an environment that they know they're most efficient at. After all, it's still their profession. You know, if they're not going to do their job, it's different. And that's hiring adults, right? And then on top of all this, because we don't pay for a ginormous warehouse, because I don't have to compete with San Francisco rates and New York City rates and Boston rates, because of the fact of what we are, our competitive advantage is we can also offer a lower price point for the same value that our competitors will offer. Where a competitor might come in and say, this app will cost you $250,000, I'll be like, it's going to cost you eighty grand," And it's not because we're outsourcing in Russia or Uganda or Pakistan or China or any of those M. Night Shyamala plots, right? It's because of the fact that we have half 
of the overall overhead expenses that they do, which means we can still make money, but also charge at a much lesser rate, which means we can give more value that way, or in, if anything, the same value for less price point, which is more valuable. Um, so that all has helped us grow. And on top of that, I think one of the things you noticed why we've also grown and why I've been around for 10 years, you know, I'm not naive. We were very early in the app development scene and becoming an outsourced technical company for clients. And we built a brand during that time period when that wasn't competitive so that by now it is competitive, but we are the brand that people recognize and know around the globe. That's number one. And it's very saturated now. So the cost of entry is way too high because we were established back when it wasn't. That gave us an opportunity cost that now doesn't exist or it's a lot more tough. I should say it's not impossible, but it's tough. And two, I started this company for a reason to help people. And it's built into our DNA. If you look, we will talk to anyone who reaches out to us, even if they're not a right fit, and help give them guidance. We have clients who come to us five years later from advice we gave them. I kid you not. I had a call a couple days ago. I'm going to not give a name because I don't want to put him on, on this block. He actually was in jail and reached out to us. And he, he, he actually had a couple DUIs. He was put in prison for a few years. And he saved up money. He got out. He has his money. He's actually working with us now. And while he was in prison, he had the opportunity to communicate with us and gave him advice, feedback, what to think about. And he's becoming one of our newest clients right now. And it's a true story. Like literally just two days ago, I was on Google Hangouts talking to him. Um, and I met with him. The first time we started talking was 2012. You know, that's the idea of helping people, building long-term relationships, right? Um, there's, I mean, some of my connections, some of our biggest clients I met for years and years of just helping people. I have this idea. Everything we do has to be about giving value, releasing blog posts that help actually give non-bullshit content, putting podcasts, videos, the book I've been working on. The idea is how can we help people in our space learn as much as physically possible about what it is that we do, about what they need to know, how to become better entrepreneurs, better business leaders, better technical entrepreneurs, better technical people, about what goes into building apps and software. So all that's ingrained in what we do. And then the last thing on this idea of helping, we have real results. Um, Clutch, which is our leading, the leading directory in our, in our field. It's for every agency, recognizes the top 1% of all agencies in the world, the whole world. And the craziest thing is every other one that was ranked in top 1% have over 100 employees, we're under 30. It's crazy. They all have real offices. We are remote base. Um, and that, that's a lot of pride to me. And because of that, we help our clients get ROI, stay in business. There's several been acquired. Um, and it's, it's, that, it's that pursuit to really give them value and building things sustainable and building real relationships with our clients and having an incredible team in a situation where you can get the best of the best, but do it in a way that fits being in the year 2018 and not the year 1956, right? Like these are all the things. And to me, it's just common sense. It really, it's, it's the, and I, I feel for a lot of entrepreneurs, just business people in general, you have to ask, if you put people in the best situation where they're going to have the best environment and have to, and be focusing on the right results, that's like the recipe for success right there, right? But so many people, again, they out Bill Belichick themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like they did in the Super Bowl where they outthink themselves and they put themselves in a position of failure. And if I think less is more in a situation where if you put everyone the right priorities and take away as much distraction or unnecessariness as possible, you're always going to be positioned to win. You still have to execute, but it's going to be easier to execute now because of that. So, all right. So, I have a couple, couple, other, couple things to touch on. Yeah. Um, one, don't you, you bring in your people for? Yeah. So every year we fly everyone in. Um. So this past year we did. So it's our company barbecue, as they call it, um, because there's barbecuing element involved. So people were flying in from like all over. The yeah, world all over the world. For it's, a barbecue. Uh, it was great in Philadelphia this year. Um. We 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 ran out of go karts in the morning in Cinnamon, New Jersey, and we did a bunch of go karts. Then we did BYOB axe throwing. So. Imagine getting your entire team drunk throwing axes. 
sounds as dangerous as it looks, but it's incredibly fun. I have a friend that's there like all the time. It's posting. so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. And and then we did barbecuing. We also purposely did competitive events because I think it's really fun watching your your, your colleagues all trying to kick each other's axes and go karts and <laughs> axe throwing is like axe throwing is like darts. Both axes is the best way to describe it. Uh, this year we haven't really planned it yet, but I'm thinking of doing like Wildwood, like Maurice Piers, getting to go to the beach to the boardwalk. Um, as long as the year goes well, I I, I think that'll be just an awesome experience. Because half of them have never been to Jersey Shore, oh. and I think that could be a really fun experience. You know, years past we did we took everyone in October once to Halloween Horror Nights in Universal Studios. Oh, that's um, awesome. We did Boston one year um, where we went actually to a game at Fenway Park and spent the, a weekend in Boston. One year at Startup Grind in um, Silicon Valley and Mountain View, to be precise. So yeah, every year we try to get everyone together and. It has to be something team experience. Sometimes it's more competitive like last year or maybe more lounging. Um, I guess it's whatever our mood as a team, as a company feels like. You're going to take them up to like Jim Thorpe for some paintball. Yeah, it's like there's so – there's the issue is you have so limited time. And, I mean, just go-karts, axe throwing, and barbecuing, you'll be surprised how exhausting that is. All of us wanted to crash friends today. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> So the other thing I wanted to touch on was um, pricing, right? So mm-hmm. when you go and you approach these these bigger companies and they're like, what do you mean? Like, I got three quotes and you were like ridiculously cheaper. Like, what am I what We'll am never I be the cheapest. Here? No, so we'll never be the cheapest because there's always these freelancers that are going to promise the sun and then they usually don't deliver. We usually are the most affordable when it comes to teams, like established companies. The only exception is we still won't ever compete with the outsourced overseas team, but we don't try to because – Let's be real. I'm sure you've heard of all the horror movie plots of outsourced overseas. And you, there might be for that one success story you hear, like 10,000 failures because of communication barrier. There's no code standards. It's, some are just pure scam artists. Um, so if you take by American firms and the quality firms that are here, we will typically always be the most affordable. I'm sure there's a rare chance where, you know, I, I'll say we are the most affordable and not, but I'm going to say nine times out of ten, we will be. Mm. Um, and what I and I explain I, I think part of why why he's like this sounds too good to be true and the reason we can combat that is because I'm transparent about why we can do this about the fact that you know our clients know we're completely remote based you're not going to come in Philly expect to see a whole operation because that's not a thing at the same time you know or also transparent there are real people you're you work with us there's five people and let's say your designers Haley and Eddie are your two designers and your developers are let's say Andy Brandon and Craig and your project managers, Joshua Winkles. Those are real people. Like I just named real team members. They're not made up. You'll get their email, their personal phone numbers. You're going to know who's who and have relationships with them. Top of myself, I get involved with every client we work with. Um, so there are that. And I think the third thing too, which has helped us now, because at the one, once by a time, there was a point where like, you sound too good to be true. And that actually was, people were thinking that way. Not is now we have just so much proof online of our, what we produce. Like you can, Go on our portfolio and actually use all the apps we have built. We have literal commercials and videos on our website of actual clients backing up what we've gone on. We give real references. We have Clutch Profile, where there's real reviews from real clients that have been with us on what they say about our experience, meeting with us every single week, communicating with us. So it's a little bit easier to sell ourselves when there's proof in the pudding, right? Like, And, and I also – and I really think – you know, I, it's and this is my perspective on selling – I am not a a um, salesperson, so I you know at the end of the day I'm really I'm a CEO with biz dev mindset, and I do love marketing, but not necessarily the sales part. 
Um, in fact, sales to me is kind of the most draining because I just I hate that patience because I'm not patient and that's what you need in sales like, half the time, right? Um, you know, I'm, I like to be quick paced. But the reason why I tell people all the time I'm really freaking good at sales and I can sell what we do is for two reasons. One is most of the people we talk to at Chopdog to reach out to us, we're not trying to convince them why they need an app. They've already made a decision. You know, like, you know how hard it is to sell someone if you go in a car lot and convince them why they need a car? You're not going – that's not something you can do. They've already made up their mind they want a car. That's part one. That makes it so much easier. But part two is you, if you know you have the best car, there's you you have to sell. You're going in the mindset, let me explain what the value is here and why this is going to be beneficial for you. And that's how I feel when I talk about Chop Dog and what we do as a company. Like, I know we save our clients hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's like a no bull****. Like, I know that for a fact. I know that with our relationships and our experience, we're saving them years of stress, years of failure because we've failed as a company time and time again, and we learned those experiences, and we can use that knowledge to make them better. In fact, I wrote about this in my book about our own failures that then that has created many of the processes and mythologies we use today on how we produce results because we know if we don't do this, here's what will happen, and now you're going to sue us because you're going to be like, what the hell just happened? Right? It's just the truth. And then on top of that, I know that we produce real award-winning stuff. Like there's, again, there's no bullshit there. We've won awards for the designs of apps, the way they function, the technology we've done. And then the one other thing that's a real fun is we'll never take on, as we did back years ago, we'll never take on something we know we just have no experience on that we know we aren't confident with. And I tell that all the time, people. Like if we're not 100% confident we can produce results, we're not going to do it because we're not going to put ourselves in a position to fail. And that doesn't mean we don't take on projects we know there's going to take more labor intensive, more R&D. But if we, you know, there's competency equals confidence, right? So if we know we're competent enough, we're going to figure this out. That's going to produce the confidence. We're good. But, you know, if you take on something like, hey, for example, we don't take on Joomla. And someone emailed us, hey, like, can you build this app on Joomla? The answer is hell no. We're not going to touch a new language ever support. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So it's kind of the mix of all of that that's helped us do it. And, you know, we're, we're very relationship-driven. And um, I think anyone can test even those that never worked with us but reached out to us. Like, when we talk, to someone about what they're trying to do, we actually seriously listen and try to understand what their needs are. Because I've personally turned down people like, you're not ready to do this yet. Save your money. Go back to the drawing board. Um, and things like that all the time. So we really are – I really think, if, again, it goes back to my mantra of just do things for the right reasons. Results will come. If you give value, you know that's how you get paid is by the value you bring to the world. It's not your time or what you think you're worth. It's actually what you're producing that's going to come back to you. It's like karma, right? Um, and I, I think those are all the contributing factors to why – we can combat that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not one answer. There's multiple facets that allow that to be the case. So, okay, let's, let's go back to, um, let's go back to when you were just getting started. Mm-hmm. How, how did your family take it? Like all this, uh, well, first off, I guess the programming aspect of it, they had to have been at least somewhat supportive since you probably weren't buying a computer unless you like stole one i mean I, I i i think i stole a family computer because it was a family computer once upon a time and today well not today but then i took it over it became my computer right so um yeah i mean i leveraged i i had a lot of things going for me at an early age and i'm not naive about this i had you know a roof over my head i didn't have to worry about responsibilities like you do as an adult when you have kids a mortgage things like that um you know literally time was the only thing that was my asset but i could leverage that in a real good way um, yeah, at the same time, they had no idea what the hell I was doing and they couldn't understand it. You know, my, my, to them, I'm pretty much IT department for my parents. Like they actually asked me today, like, Josh, what's the internet password? Like that's, you know, they, I have, I, I still have to explain it today. I can make things work when it's working. 
Like, I can do things when it's working. If it's broken, don't ask me. I have no idea what the hell to do. Like, I, if you break your computer, I'm not, I'm going to be, I'm going to say go to freaking Best Buy or Apple Store and figure that out. I'm not, I have no idea what the hell you're doing. Um, no, they're very supportive. And I mean, and I, you know, I, I didn't go to college, for example. I went for a semester and a half. And um, I remember telling my parents I wanted to end it because at the time, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I'm learning. They're teaching me things I've been doing myself for years. I'm commuting. I'm not getting a real college experience. I already had a good business going. And I was, you know, most people go to school to do what I was already doing. And no clients ask me, what's your college major, right? They're asking you, how can you make me more money? Um, so I remember having a conversation. And they were like, why do you even go to begin with? Was pretty much the reaction. And keep in mind, my dad didn't go to college and he ended up being a president of a major casino and he is today. You know, my mom graduated number one Valley Victorian. She was unemployed for like 15 years. So to their reaction too is like they had a backwards vision of education and it's a difficult route. Plus again, there's different economic factors there. I didn't grow up rich either. So this is the weird thing is like I grew up in a, in a place where I feel a gay perspective. I saw my family struggle financially. Still, had to live check to check. You know, we lived in the cliche middle-class type neighborhood. It wasn't, you know, the house wasn't worth a million plus dollars. It wasn't a like. Well, it's not in California. Uh, where well, they just sold that. Was it that eight hundred and fifty square foot? Yeah, house that's true. But well, let me let me say this: there, you know, Agarwal Township is a wealthier neighborhood, a wealthier town that I lived in at the time, at least. Um, and we probably lived in one of the oldest, more eh neighborhoods. You know, a lot of you know, my parents lived there for the school district. Is one of the reasons why they picked it. You know, um, I had friends where, you know, they they went on vacations like every other weekend and. Their family owned a yacht in, in Margate or Vetner, and you know I didn't have that stuff. And I actually think it it was really beneficial for me to kind of witness the struggles of the recession and economic conditions, and see my family struggle, and seeing how we live compared to some of my friends growing up. Because it actually gave a lot of good perspective that I still have today of like not taking things for granted. Like, and I really do mean this. I am so freaking fortunate with what we do. Like, what I get to do actually can pay for me to do really almost anything I want, right? Like, I'm really freaking blessed. But simultaneously, I'm not – there's a lot of people – I'm sure you work in the business world where I think they've lost disconnect to how much a dollar's worth, like, to them. And, um, you know, I, I, I refuse for that to happen. It's one of the reasons why I give back and I volunteer at Big Brothers Big Sisters, and I'm a big – it's one of the reasons why I was just speaking at an FBLA conference for high school students um, yesterday. And it's one of the reasons why I met you at HopeWorks and tried to give back there is – one of the reasons why I talk to inner city school kids is one of the reasons why I actually donate money back and try to raise funds and stuff like that for certain things. It's um, it's I, it's my perspective of like how great I have it and how most don't. And also at the same time, like with me figuring out what I freaking love to do and taking years of perf- really, it's my craft. That's what I know. That's how I treat it. Teaching people like you can find your own craft that can actually make you a living that you will feel fulfilled and will make a difference under people's lives, like. Big Brother is a great example. Um, there's so many of these incredible, incredible kids, right? Hope works too, where they didn't raise an environment where they could be encouraged to go and find their own craft or understand how you know money could be attainable in a certain way if you do these certain things. And you know, if you grow up in environments where you know, and I grew up in a tough financial environment where you think it's hard to get money and people, everyone struggles, and only certain people will be making wealth and things like that. I think there's a huge disadvantage there, but if you can spread that awareness and teach those that there's a different way of thinking. I think it does make a whole difference. And, you know, I actually been working on my book, the entrepreneur's framework. And one part of my book and what I contribute to a huge part of my success is I followed the, I love sports growing up. You know, we talk sports radio over the first 10 minutes. (laughs) And one of my favorite philosophies is what do you think LeBron James does when he's not playing basketball? 
He's watching tape to become better. He's working out, lifting weights to become better. He's practicing cardio. I thought he he's thought watching... about the, the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, he's thinking about the 76ers, <laughs> about joining this all season. But, he, you know, he's obsessed, right? Like, he's perfecting his craft. You know, that's what the best of the best does. Kobe Bryant has that famous article, but it was called, like, Why 4 a.m.? Why every single day he woke up 4 a.m., even after he won the championship the night before, 4 a.m., back at the gym, working out. Um, it's that obsession. And I treat, actually, what I do the same way because I feel like there's always that going the next step, becoming better. Um, and, you know, that 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 you only do if you freaking love what you do. And what I my hypothesis when I talk about in the framework is purpose over passion. Like, everyone says find your passion. I think that's Passion's fleeting. I've, I've had multiple passions in my life, but they eventually die out. Purpose is different, right? It drives you by it. So that's to me, is like part of my core DNA and like my mission, helping others find their purpose. And why I love what we do at Chapo, we help people with their purpose in solving real problems they're facing. And that's what they were using technologies and apps for. But what I did an entrepreneur's framework too, and what I learned is if you observe the best of the best of whatever they do, especially in entrepreneurship, you'll notice correlations. You'll notice certain things that they do or they're not even realizing they're doing that makes them one of the best. And I identified eight pieces that's involved in really the best of the best in every entrepreneur that you can ever see. Um, and it's they all sound super obvious, but you don't really think about it. And it, it all stems from like self-awareness, number one. Um, everyone that really goes the extra element actually knows what drives them. So most people think they're self-aware. It's fine. Yes. Do you think you're self-aware? Everyone's like, yes. But here's why most people aren't. Most people respond by emotion. I'm sure you know that. And there's this, this, there's this theory, and I can't think of the woman's name. It's in my book, and it's driving me crazy. I can't name her here, but read my book when it comes out. It has a name, so I'm not, you know, I'm not plagiarizing here. Um, <laughs> it's called the 30 Wise Formula. So the idea is, here's the easy way to become self-aware, start practicing. You get on something. You get an email that angers you, okay? Let's say that. And it happens to everyone. Everyone's reaction usually is to respond to that emotion that they get. But have you ever asked yourself, why do I feel that way? You might have a response now to that. Well, I feel this way because X, Y, Z. And we're like, why is X, Y, Z making you feel that way? The second why. And then why is this then triggering that response? Now, third why is the root. That root is actually where your self-awareness comes from, like understanding what makes you tick. That is a big piece in the best of the best entrepreneurs out there and why they can remain even keel. And, you know, you're talking about the fearless leader because it cuts through the Because most of us respond by emotion because it's how Hollywood trains you. It's how the media translates you. It's how by basic DNA we're, we're like programmed to do. So you have to break out that mold. Like that's one of the big things. And two is empathy. I was just going through that. But like the best of the best are so empathetic and not just about like their customers or clients, but even their own team members. Understanding if they're burned out, understanding what puts them in the best position to succeed. You know, that's another such a big fundamental. Um, there's several other pieces of framework involved, but these are like some examples of like what the best of the best does. And the reason why I wrote this actually in a book and why I've been working is it's what help, has helped me in my career. And I've just studied it. And now half my conscious, like, you need to write this yourself. Like, like give it to others. And um, it, it's, it's just the things that I've never seen in a business book that talk about, like some people might hint at it, but never put in a practical, like here's a step-by-step of like the things you need to think about, not like the cliche manage your financials or marketing one-on-one or, you know, everyone's wrote those left and right, every different angle, money ball, whatever. I wouldn't know. I don't read books. So <laughs> I, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I'm actually an audiobook guy. I love audiobooks. Oh, I, I don't I read. Don't, no, I, dude, I'm, <laughs> yeah, no audiobooks. Wow. Uh, no read. Like, I love audiobooks and podcasts. I mean, I have lots of books up on my shelves behind us or behind me, um, but a lot of them are given to me. So, <laughs> I, but I, I'm a very slow reader. And, and That's why you do audiobooks. I'm telling you, it's amazing. You do, pod- yeah, do you listen to podcasts? It's the not, same thing. No, I don't listen to podcasts wow. either. <laughs> So, so it's, 
I'm a, uh, like I, I try to limit my my creative input so that my output is is more original. Well, there is, so it's interesting you bring it up. So one of the things I've always believed in is absorb less, create more. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great mind. It kind of follows that mindset. A lot of people don't understand that. Like I I mean there was a post um in the uh, like one of the podcast groups I belong to on Facebook. Mm-hmm. They're like oh how could you not listen to podcasts if you're podcasting? I'm like. I don't want to sound like everybody else. I don't want to absorb well, what everybody else is saying. So it's interesting that you bring this up. So on one hand, I agree with it. So everything you try to do is try to be original, right? Like it's, it's purposely, but you don't purposely go, I always be original. You try to be what's instinct that usually creates originality. In our case, a chop dog, that's not only a process of what we do, which is distinct from our comp- competition because we're not paying attention to what they do. We're paying attention to what makes sense for us, mm-hmm. but it's also what translates in our designs and our programming and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also obsessed with performance. So I don't try to pay attention to the creative output side of things because that's to what makes the best, most creative people out there as creative as they are or as efficient as they are or productive. And that's why I like it blowing my framework. So. Back in like 2012, 2013, I almost quit Chop Dog. We and part of what I mentioned, like we failed, like failed. I I built this app called Subtle. Uh, at the time, I was chasing FOMO and put fifty thousand dollars of my own money in it. And almost bled through it. I had no money to my name. It was, it was, it was a terrible experience. But it was the best experience. Today, I call it the fifty thousand dollar tuition. I paid fifty thousand bucks to learn today what's turned Chop Dog into a multi million dollar company and have countless team members and actually produce results. So, and it's again my kind of my naive, optimistic mindset that I really have that instinct in me. Like, I just feel it sounds soppy or soapy or cliche or whatever the hell you want to call it. But I, I really do feel like everything that's happened in my life has led me to become who I am now, good and bad, has turned into something great. And that everything that I go through is leading to something bigger and better to where I believe I need to be. And I'm very tunnel focused as far as what I want to accomplish in my career with how, with how I want to help people what I want to be able to achieve myself. And part of it's selfless and some of it's selfish. And I'm not, I, I think there's something good about that. Like I, some of the best athletes in the world, best performers, in the world, best entrepreneurs, part of them are completely selfish, but that's okay. Like Warren Buffett said himself when he was like young in his 20s, like I will be the richest person on the face of the, on the earth. Right. And there's something almost admirable to me about that being like so in tune about understanding yourself, but it doesn't mean it's not selfless. I mean, this dude has probably now given back more money to anybody else in history of humanity, you know, so you had to look at the other way. So I, uh, I, I don't look at things as absolutes, you know, I think there's a lot of gray and I think you, if you learn how to leverage the positivity aspects of it, um, there, there's something really beautiful there. And entrepreneurship is the perfect context to use that. Oh yeah, no, totally. I, I, you know, when and when I do intake stuff, I'm I'm more studying it than mm-hmm. I'm like enjoying. Yeah. With the only exception I would say is movies because we watch we do watch quite a few movies. I mean, you're gonna be a filmmaker one day, right? I, I mean, I do do a lot of film, <laughs> but I don't I don't know that I'm ever gonna grow up and be a, a filmmaker. Yeah, it's, it's not too late. Don't let your dreams just be dreams. Uh, I mean, I do it. I do it because I enjoy it. I don't do it because I gotta do it to make money. I mean, with YouTube but, in 2018, you can become the next I, big filmmaker. I mean, I've made over a hundred some videos. So there you go. Like, you know, I, I, it's, it's there. Um, but you know, I, I think it's important that, that like that self-awareness point that you, you point out and the, the whys, like, I think that's really important, um, to be able to, to question, um, everything, like question everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I've written about that in my first book back in 2014. <laughs> so, or 2015, 2014. Yeah. 2014. Anyway. Time abstract anyway. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, the book was pretty abstract. That's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> So what's your hobby outside of, of programming and running your business? 
Uh, um, no, it's, I'm just kidding about that. So it's, I really am a, um, absolute diehard Philadelphia sports fan. That's like my, as my girlfriend likes to joke, so it makes me human is being a sports fan. So, um, you know, I actually, I, I freaking love it. Just wanted, it's, it's part of funny. I think it's helped my career, that instinct in me of being loving sports and things like that. But that's definitely a big piece of me. Um, you know, I watched the Flyers give up that goal with 22 seconds left last night and wanted to throw something at a hotel TV and things like that. So trust me, I, <laughs> I, I have a love hate relationship. Um, I've got seriously involved in fitness in the last few years after originally I let my health really go. Um, and that's also a love hate relationship, but it is a hobby of where I'm like, I, you know, I've studied a lot of macro nutrition, how to better hack yourself for more energy during the day, how weight, what's the hypertrophy with certain workouts, what can produce the best results for you. I'm a homeowner, so part of the hobby is trying to make my home great, but it's a very expensive hobby. So <laughs> yeah, it's, that, I, well. I don't want to go to the wall is crazy there as far as that goes but that is definitely a hobby um honestly just traveling that's actually a big one for me recently um last year i spent a month in europe i went to dublin i went to ireland i was in paris went to girlfriend um trying to see as much the united states as i can trying to see more of the world um it is expensive ish not as expensive as home ownership apparently um but <laughs> but that's a that's actually something i really enjoy but you know i'd i don't look at like work as like feels like work to me right like i freaking love it. i mean reality is quote unquote this could be work you could go out i'm talking a podcast about my company but it's freaking fun sports radio you know on <laughs> so it's like you know the reality is um I, I i just live an awesome dream that i don't want to wake up on as far as i'm i'm aware but you know that and obviously i have my girlfriend so i do try to spend one-on-one time with her and try to make a lot of time where we'll, we'll go out in philadelphia try out awesome restaurants and you know, during the summertime, I do love the beach just because I grew up near it. So spend time in the beach and my dog, Basil the Bulldog. <laughs> so, yeah, it's still there's still those characteristics for sure. You know, it's not like I get up 9 a.m., work at my desk till midnight and go to bed. Like, it's not like that at all. No, that's important to have that work-life balance. Uh, it's 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 difficult to, to do and it gets harder, especially once you add kids into the mix, <laughs> home ownership into the mix. Uh, and, and just these things that just take away from the ability to just be like, I'm going to plug in and just do this. It's, it, it, it's definitely true. I mean, I was, so yesterday I was at the FBLA conference, which stands for future business leaders of America. It's high school students. that want to become entrepreneurs and business people. And they asked me like, how was your work-life balance? I'm like, for the first six years, there wasn't any, I really did just work 24 seven. And, you know, as I get older, you know, I have a serious relationship or responsibilities, but it still is a prominent part of my life. I think it, actually as Tammy likes to explain I'm like I'm like Bruce Wayne and Batman where like you know how Batman's actually Bruce Wayne's real identity and Bruce Wayne's like the the cover up that's the hypothesis in Batman comics <laughs> where it's like I'm actually Batman as far as like Chop Dog and Bruce Wayne's my real personality which like I enjoy being but I, I do love working as much as physically possible so um yeah this also I love Batman as my favorite superhero so it's always good to hear that euphemism um but kind of get to um yeah it's it's I definitely couldn't work 24-7 like I did when I was a little bit younger, right? Like, that's just – it's not even feasible, but I would also burn out and not be as efficient as I am now. And it does give that awareness. Like I said, I give back and things like that too. Like, I, I meet with my little brother every day, every week. You know, I've I've joined Big Brothers Big Sisters committee, so I'm, hap- I'm actually working with them in the Philadelphia Eagles on their fashion show that raises hundreds of thousands of dollars for the city, for the program, to help with more kids and matches, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it's – I try to find a balance and – and the unfortunate thing is there's not there's no finite there's no infinite amount of energy and there's no infinite amount of time um, because there's actually a lot more I wish I could do right like my book's actually a hobby of mine I've been working on right 
Um, it's two years in the making. It's driving me crazy, but it's um, <laughs> as no, books generally do. Yeah, it's it's. I'm actually just uh, not the border, uh, you know, listeners here, but I'm on my third draft of the book. I wrote draft, ended up being completely horse <laughs> even share of any one. <laughs> Second one, I was proud of. I gave it a feedback, and the feedback ripped it to shreds. Now, third one, I'm actually feeling really good about. So, hopefully, by the end of the summer, the fall, it'll finally be out. Because now it's a book I'm actually proud of, and people are actually giving me real feedback saying, wow, this is great. <laughs> so, you know, I never thought it would take me almost three years to make it when I started it. Well, my newest book took two years, but my first three books took less than three months each. So, <laughs> it just depends on you know what what you're uh trying to accomplish and and you know going from there with it but um so so what's been the biggest roadblock for you roadblock i'm trying to f- i mean we've had every setback you can think of i mean we have done client mishaps we have failed on deliverables we have spent more money than we should have and put ourselves in financial order so i mean I can't identify one giant setback where I'm like, holy crap, what have I done? We're facing the end of the world here type situation. Like, that, honestly, there's none. Um, every day I make some mistake, but I, I learn from them. I mean, that's really what I feel is like the biggest thing. So but I think this entrepreneurship in general is like there's – so one thing I'm very open about is like what we've done wrong and how we learn from it. And actually I'm very proud of it. Like I'm, I'm more proud of what we've become better at than maybe our quote-unquote – the normal successes because success are translates because of that. And I, I talk about it openly because these are things I feel other people make the same mistakes and they just learn from they They wouldn't have to do it. Right. And we learn from it. So I can't tell you one individual setback is like this, this is the setback that's hell is because over time we have grown, but kind of looks like an economic chart where up, down, up, down, up, down, but generally keeps going in the up direction. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of how it feels to me as far as like our growth. Um, Really, the biggest like quote unquote self back is like I said, there was a while there where I was mentally a wreck, and I went through. I, I, I to this day I actually have anxiety, and I go to therapy and things like that, and I'm very vocal about it. Um, but you know, one reason I wrote the framework and why I spent years like studying myself is finding a healthy way of using the internal part of my competitiveness, my drive, what I freaking love to do in a healthy way without it being detriment to me, and um. Maybe if I had to say setback, it's personal setbacks. That's been probably the biggest things I've had to overcome than it is actually like professional business-related setbacks. Hmm. No, I, I think uh, those you know those types of setbacks are the ones that we grow from, right? The, mm-hmm. the experience mm-hmm. and and all of that 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 help us get where we want to go. Um, now I, I I know I have a good idea what you're you're gonna say for this next question, <laughs> but uh, so what was your childhood dream growing up? And maybe maybe before all of the civil success, engineer, civil engineer, yeah, no 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 lie, I actually like a Sim City fan. No, or something? I, I, I love Sim City as a kid. So <laughs> fun story when I was obsessed with theme park roller coasters, I actually wanted to become a roller coaster engineer at one point when I was like ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years old. I can still to this day name you roller coaster company manufacturers. Like you asked me right now, I can actually tell you who made what roller coaster by looking oh, at wow. what it is. So there's B and M, there's Intamin, um, Rocky Mountain Coaster Group, and um, I actually have friends from when I was very young on Messenger Forums that are actual roller coaster engineers, designers. Two are Disney Imagineers for Disney theme parks. So I actually have a lot of great relationships <laughs> in this field just from my one of my earliest passions. So as a kid, I wanted to become a civil engineer because I to me it was the easiest um, gateway to becoming a roller coaster engineer. Um, and I was fascinated by it behind the, the physics of it, the manufacturing part of it, the, the theming and the storytelling and how they can impact like actual experiences. Um, 
so yeah, um, I actually in high school I went to I studied I was doing electrical engineering, I was doing architecture classes, playing in AutoCAD, uh, I was taking a lot of physics classes, mathematics classes because I was obsessed with it, and that creativity side is still what's in my DNA today. Um, obviously, not anytime soon I'll be designing roller coasters outside like Roller Coaster Tycoon here, but um, yeah, that that was actually as a kid when I was very young was like what I wanted to be. So, Josh, how can people get in touch with you, get in touch with uh, Chop Dog? Easiest way is um, email, honestly. So it's just Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, at ChopDog.com, C-H-O-P-D-A-W-G.com. ChopDog.com is also spelled that way, C-H-O-P-D-A-W-G.com. I am on every social network as at Das Joshua, which is D-A-S, Joshua. Think of it like Das Boot, and take away the boot and think <laughs> Joshua. But actually, since 2018 is probably been my least social media consumption in my life. I've been very heads down speaking, working on a book, and the business that I really have not put as much time and energy in social media. So for a long time, I used to tell people, go there and talk to me. But a lot of people notice I've just been a lot less society of like, I my attention's elsewhere and what I feel is more bigger picture stuff. Um, I do love what social media does and approachability. And I think when the book comes out, I'm going to have to reshift focus from a marketing perspective. But right now, um, email is probably the best way to, re- to uh, reach me. Awesome. Well, I will definitely have that in the show notes at uh, b- thebusiness.tv. Uh, so I would love to have you on the show again. Let's do it. Uh, go right now. Lucky, let's right go now. another hour. Let's go right well, now. Well, look, can we eat lunch over the, over the next hour? Cause it's, it's, hey, there's a sushi place here. There right? is a sushi yeah, place. I can go, go put some pants on. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm not wearing pants right now, but sweatpants. Sweat, Don't sweat listen to him, the... folks. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd love to have you on the show again. It's, yeah. been, it's been awesome. Before we wrap up here, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share? Last thoughts. Last thoughts. I, this is actually my, it's a, it's, I'm going to leave it this parting words, which is like, always have the mindset of what you're doing, you will accomplish. And even, and that's been the biggest factor of my career. So even when you hit those hard moments and you have to really dig down, think about when you're emotionally distraught, if you have the mindset of, well, I'm, I know I'm going to get through this because I'm going to get this done or I'm going to accomplish it, you will persevere through it. And trust me, as a CEO, I deal with a lot of, you know, I'm not going to lie, you know, I'll deal sometimes where upset clients, upset team members, financial hurdles, you know, server manufacturer. And during December, Russians are trying to hack our servers. So, <laughs> but if I've always had the mindset where I know we're going to succeed, there's no doubt about it, which helps because it's not hope. Just so I'm going to steal this from Tony Robbins. So again, I'm not plagiarizing. It's you, it's you say, I, I hope to have a million dollars. And you think about you having a million dollars because you think you hope. A lot of people articulate that by saying it feels dark. It doesn't feel real. You say, you know, you will have a million dollars. All some people kind of sit upright. Their their shoulders get pushed back. They feel like they're wearing a cape. They they have the certainty and they conduct themselves with that certainty. And that's a real thing. So I really encourage like if you're gonna be an entrepreneur and you, you and you're saying I'm gonna build an app that's going to make me an income and make me uh, actually live it. Actually know for a fact that's going to happen and that's how you conduct yourself and that makes a all the difference in the world when it comes to entrepreneurship. Super Josh, it has been amazing having you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate having me. Um, And if you've enjoyed this episode and gotten something out of it, 
uh, I ask if you just share this episode with someone else that you care about, somebody that you feel could get uh, something out of this. You gonna say something? I was gonna say, if you do share, you have to use hashtag Fly Eagles Fly. Fly, yeah, or, or hashtag Philly Philly. I, I, I'm not gonna be mad either way. Um, I still get chills just thinking about that. World champs, and it would have been, you know. Uh, yeah, that, that I mean, it, and it's so much sweeter that Tom Brady could only throw footballs; yeah. he couldn't catch them. I can't wait for. Uh, I really do hope the home opener is against Dallas when we raise the banners and give out the rings. Oh, uh, that would you know be... we do start the season Thursday night because we're Super Bowl champs. Yes, are you going? Are you going to the draft? I was at the draft, so it's funny. I was at the parade at the art museum, and I, I went to the draft at the art museum. So it's funny how the season went full circle. I didn't know if you would be like flying no, down to I, Dallas. I, I know to... it would be great. I um. The reason I went to the in. draft this year in Philly because I was in Philly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Economically, yeah, yeah. you know, it was at nighttime, so it was great. I would work all day, and then I'll take the subway right over to the draft. But, um, yeah, it's, even though I would love to be there and I would love to wear my Super Bowl champs stuff everywhere, it's um, it's just – yeah, it's, it's I, I do got responsibility. I know, it's a lot of money just to, just yeah, to go gloat. <laughs> it's fun if it's local. So here's what I'll say. If you live in the Dallas area, which I'm so sorry that you do if you're a Cowboys fan, I'm so sorry. Well, yeah, at least they grew up there. They don't have to. Uh, the Philly fans. They, they, are, they still clearly are, had some poor life decisions that, as a Cowboys uh, fan. But, but at least they live there. <laughs> Doesn't like, matter. How many Philly people you know that are da- Dallas Cowboys fans that never even been to the? Oh no, yeah, no. The, 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 there's two type of Cowboy fans. There's the ones that have made terrible life decisions to become a Cowboys fans. Then are the ones that are in the Philly, New Jersey area where I, I, I something clearly went wrong in their lives that they felt like. They're like the equivalent of the Joker in the Dark Knight, where they just believe in destruction and chaos and what whatever could go burn. wrong. That that's what it is. That's what it is. So um, uh, I hold back no punches to Cowboy fans or anyone in NFC East for that matter. So <laughs> or even Pittsburgh Penguin fans, even though they they just beat us on Wednesday, which <sighs> off. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's understandable. I'm not a huge Pittsburgh Penguins fan either. I know. Um, with good reason, I feel. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Please, 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 please take the time to share this show out with somebody that uh, you you know and love. And uh, also, this episode has been brought to you by me, Super Joe Pardo, with my brand new book, Sales Won't Save Your Business, which is out now on Amazon at saleswont.com. It'll take you right there. And uh, yeah, so I hope everybody has an amazing week ahead. Super Josh, thanks again. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Business Podcast featuring Super Joe Pardo. Get more business content at superjoepardo.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on The Business Podcast, send an email to joe at superjoepardo.com. The Business Podcast is copyrighted to 234 Solutions, LLC.